Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 222. Let's do this. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host. His middle name is Philip because he's Filipino. Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today in session 222. We have a returning guest with us today, somebody who's been on the show three times before. And no, this is not Chris Ducker, although he's been on quite a few times too. This is by far the most requested person to come back on the show. And this is Ramit Seti from IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. A fun fact about Ramit is his blog is actually one of the first blogs that I ever discovered and one that I started to follow. And this was back in 2006, I think it was, when I first discovered him. And that was before I started my online business. I was still in the architecture world and I was trying to learn from Ramit how to build wealth, how to generate an income, uh, how to get better job positions and raises and all that kind of stuff. And uh, since then, I've sort of gotten to know him as this incredible marketer now that I'm doing marketing myself. And I follow him. I uh, subscribe to all of his emails. And I just, I do that because I want to learn from the best. And he is one of the best in terms of email sequences, sales pages, funnels, and all that kind of stuff. And so today we're going to be talking with Ramit about finding the right products to promote to your audience and finding the right price points to sell those products. There's a lot of mindset stuff that goes into this, but there's also a lot of actionable advice too. And Ramit pulls from his own experience, his own failures too, to help us better understand these concepts. And I promise you that after listening to this episode, you're gonna take home just some amazing knowledge that's gonna help you with the products that you are either selling now and how to better promote them, or the products that you're coming out with in the future. And uh, so let's get right into it. This is Ramit Seti from I Will Teach You To Be Rich and zero to launch. Here we go. Ramit, dude, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here again. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, my audience by far more than anybody asks you to come back um, all the time. So happy to have you back. You always deliver the goods as I'm sure you're going to today. And so we're gonna get into a lot of things, but I just have to thank you publicly here on the show because we had a private chat not too long ago 
where you really helped my mind focus on where it needed to focus on. And a lot of it was because, you know, I'm, you know, even though I've been doing this for eight years, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm still learning, I'm still struggling and, and you really helped me out. So I just want to thank you publicly for that. We're going to actually talk about some of those topics today, but I just want to, man, by far, you, you actually are the blog that I've followed the longest. I don't know if you know that, but the, wow. even, even before I started blogging myself, um, it was an article that you wrote where I could save X amount of dollars from my cable company and you had put a script in that blog post and that's really what helped me become a fan of yours it was that that small little win that I got from you really got me hooked on your stuff so uh, thank you for that well thank you for saying that I really appreciate it and um, one of my goals is to raise the entire industry up of people who are creating online businesses I think you and I would probably both agree there's a lot of hype there's a lot of people selling these sort of semi snake oil products and I've just never been interested in that. You know, I always wanted to um, honor the education that I went through, the professors, the New York Times journalists who subscribed to my list. I wanted to put something out there that would make my parents proud. And uh, one of the things that I remember hearing, which I've never forgotten, is someone once said, you never hear anyone on a Mercedes commercial screaming. And I thought that was so profound because if you think about a used car commercial, there's a guy in a big hat just yelling and screaming. And if you think about a Mercedes commercial, it is so different. You know, it's, it's pure luxury, mm-hmm. automotive excellence. And I think all of us can aspire to that with our business. And when you do and you treat the people who you're serving just in a really honorable way, you can actually charge very premium prices. You can have revenue that you wouldn't even believe. And best of all, you can actually help people lead a rich life. So I'm really happy to hear you um, say that, and I'm happy to help however I can with your listeners today. Yeah, no problem. I think that might surprise some people hearing that I say that because, you know, it almost reminds me of when Tiger Woods was still in his prime as a golfer. I was so surprised that he was still getting swinging lessons. I'm like, why does the top golfer in the world need swinging lessons? Well, we always need to be educated. I know I'm not perfect. And so you know, a lot of people ask me, Pat, who, who do you look up to? Who do you, who do you aspire to be like? And, you know, Rami, you've built an incredible business, um, have been very honest and authentic along the way. And so I, I appreciate you and your example. And hopefully we can pay it forward for these people who are listening today. Um, and the one thing that I know, a lot of people who are listening, they've done a really good job of building an audience and building credibility with, within a certain niche. But now, now they're at the point that they want to launch a product. And there's obviously a whole spectrum of different products people can create at different price points. And a lot of people are hearing, you know, you got to create that tripwire, that first, you know, $4.99, $9.99 product just to get people in the door before you scare them with a $497 product. But it almost sounds like that starting high isn't always going to be bad. Where does one even start? Like, how does one wrap around their head around what to do first in terms of launching products? Let's get the mindset right. You're not scaring anyone by charging $499, $1,000, or even $5,000, okay? You're not scaring anybody. Um, when, When people think about the word scaring, what they typically think is that someone's gonna scroll down their sales page and suddenly see the price and just go, Oh my God, that's outrageous. That's ridiculous. I I would never, maybe if it was $4, I would buy it. But what we need to understand first is that you're not failing at the sales page. You've failed way, way before. And that is in qualifying the right buyer, right? So many people have heard one of the things that we do in our business is we don't allow anyone with credit card debt to purchase our flagship courses. 
And that's a value-based decision. That's the way I want to run my business, my mm -hmm. life. That costs us millions of dollars a year. It's the right thing to do. It also means that by the time someone comes to even hear about how they can purchase something from us, we've already qualified them in a lot of different ways. Um, this is really scary for people because the first thing most people want is to inflate the numbers. I want a huge email list. I want a big funnel. I want all this stuff. And we've always believed that we would start with quality and have the best products, have the best subscribers. And when you do all of those things, you just stack them on top of each other. It's, it is irresistible and it is undeniable that your business will grow. So to answer your question specifically, there are a lot of people who say you need a $4.99 product. Okay, if that's the business model you want to do, you absolutely can do that. But let me just say that I think that most rules out there are made to be mastered and then broken. So we don't do a $4.99 product. I would rather not play in the $4, $20, or even $50 sandbox. Um, we generate a substantial amount of revenue from a $2,000 product. And that is for people who are you know, typically millennials. They're in their 30s. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say you don't need to do what somebody tells you about a $4.99 product. But what I would say is there are some simple math models I can give you that would show you how to build a pretty substantial online business. So you want to go through a little bit of the math? Yeah, before that, though, I want to, I want to ask you a question. A lot of people, when they hear this, they're going to be like, well, I'm leaving out a lot of people who could purchase the product because of the price. And I think a lot of people feel bad of charging more because they're going to leave some people out who could benefit from that product. And so okay. great question and great, great point it is so true. Let me say this. You have to get your psychology right. Um, when you're thinking about selling and I want to, let's spend some time on this cause this is critical. Um, we already talked about scaring people. You're not scaring the right people. When I offer a product and it is for the right person, they're not scared. You know what they say? please take my money, please. Can I get, can I just scroll down and I don't even want to read these words. Just take my money. Right. I feel like you made this just for me. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and we did because we found the needle in the haystack that it was a perfect fit for. Um, now that's, that takes a lot of work and a lot, lot of research and we can talk about all that. Um, but you're not scaring the wrong, you're not scaring the right person. The wrong person should already be off to something that's a better fit. Now, if you're concerned about, um, not serving everyone. I think that's a valid concern because we didn't all start a business just to maximize profits. There's more to it than that. The approach we took was to say, look, we're going to give away 98% of our material for free and then 2% is going to be very premium. So we're not really interested in playing in the middle ground. Um, if you have people who say, you know, that's too expensive, then what I would recommend is you point them to your blog posts and you say, Please use this blog post. It is so good. If you execute on this, you'll be able to save time, save money, earn money, whatever. You'll typically find two things. You'll typically find that about 85 to 90% of the time, the people who are complaining about price are not actually complaining about price. They just don't want to do what you're offering. Mm -hmm. It's all fun and games and ponies and cake until there's consequences and there's some skin in the game, which is money. Um, you'll, if you, I guarantee this, everyone listening, send the people who complain about price, say, look, totally understand that this price isn't for everyone. Let me recommend something. Go check out this blog post, execute on it, write me back on Monday and tell me how it goes. Set a little reminder for yourself in Boomerang or SaneBox or whatever you use. They won't write you back. I can guarantee you that. 
99% of those people will never write you back. Write them back on Tuesday and say, hey, how did it go? Tell me like specifically what kind of results did you get? You will find that about 70% of those people will never reply to your second email. The ones who do will almost always, almost always be full of excuses and reasons it didn't work. Pat, can you guess what they would say about why they weren't able to execute? I just didn't have time. Hmm? Something came up. Yep. Weekend, blah, blah, blah. So now we're, I'm not trying to be pejorative at all or insult any of these people. What I want you to do is put on a scientist hat and try to understand what's going on. They first complained about price. And if you had simply taken them at face value, you would have lowered your price. They still would have never bought. Mm -hmm. So instead, you played a little experiment. You said, hey, go try this free blog post, which is going to help you save time, save money, earn money. And you wanted to see if they would actually follow through. If they can't follow through on something free, how are they going to follow through on the challenging work in your course? And if, if what I'm saying is accurate, which I believe it is because I've tested it with like literally thousands of people, then you're going to find out that those people actually were just using price as a decoy to excuse their lack of follow through. So now you know that is not your market. You could, you could lower your price. You could put a crown on your head. You could, you could do whatever. You could send them a cake. It's not going to change anything. So now you've already had a world-changing insight, which is that's not your customer. So let's not even think or concern ourselves with that. I'd rather reserve my limited concern and limited attention for the people who are actually likely to follow through. So is the goal to have a sales page for a product up and then share that with everybody and then those who then purchase are likely qualified and those who don't are not? Or... Are you trying to segment your audience beforehand to make sure that only people who would be interested in that product actually see that offer? The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of times when we come up with these, um, these two options, should I eat healthier or should I work out at the gym? The answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Right. And so you want to be qualifying people along the way. And when you get really sophisticated, there's a lot of different ways you can qualify and segment people. But, you know, there's always going to be people who are just like, hey, I like reading your emails or I like your videos and they go check out the sales page. Now, here's where it's really a pivotal moment. So when I go to a store, if I see a shirt that I can't afford or that just doesn't look good to me, what do I do? I just, I put it back on the rack and I walk out. I go to another place, right? I don't hold it up and then complain to the manager, this is too expensive. <laughs> maybe if you lowered the price by 98%, maybe I would consider it. And yet, ironically, in the internet world, people do that, which is completely absurd. And then worst of all, you, the entrepreneur, actually listen. What you need to do is step back and say, hey, the market is telling me something, but I'm not sure what it's telling me. Is the price truly too high? Or is it that this person is probably not qualified. Now, how do you find out? Like I said, run the experiment, do the free thing. You could even say, what's a price that would be fair to you? And I guarantee you, if you're selling at $100, they'll say something like 20 bucks. Say, okay, just for one person, I'm gonna give it to you for 20 bucks. Watch and see what percentage of those people actually take you up on it and follow through without refunding. You're gonna quickly discover that price is, it's like a beacon. If people, tr if you've truly convinced the right audience, then as we say, price is a mere triviality, okay? Because people will pay a substantial amount if you're actually solving a problem that's important to them and that they believe you can solve it. Um, those two keys, let me say those again. 
if you are solving a problem that's important to people and if you have the credibility so that they believe you can solve it. If you do those two things, price is a mere triviality. So I'll, I'll stop there. So then the question, that begs the question, well, how do we find out the most important problems to solve? Okay, so you've talked a lot about this in doing your research. And, you know, I, I think a lot about um, when we tackled some of the projects that we did. I'll, I'll tell you an example of something that worked really well. And I'll tell you an example of something that totally flopped. So we had a product. We have a product now that's called Zero to Launch. And this is for people who want to create an online business. Everything from doing the research to what price should you choose for your product and down to the level of like what packaging. Should it be a video course? Should it be four weeks, eight weeks? All the split tests and stuff that we've run. There's a bunch of stuff in there. That is a huge success. People love it and the students who go through it are building awesome online businesses. Okay, that's a big demand, right? People want to start an online business and they want to learn it from someone they can trust. Like I will teach. On the other hand, we created a health insurance product. Now, when I was younger, I needed to find health insurance. And I mean, I was so frustrated. I thought to myself, like, I'm an educated guy and I can't figure this out. If I can't figure this out, there's a lot of people who can't. So I asked people on my list, I said, are you guys frustrated with health insurance? A bunch of people were like, yeah. So we actually went off and built a health insurance product. And we were going to, I mean, we had certain things designed. It was getting close to being done. And we decided to do a little bit of testing. And what we discovered is that all the people who had said it was frustrating, it was one of those things they just wanted to complain about, but they didn't actually want to pay to solve the problem. And it turns out health insurance is just one of those things you complain at the lunchtime cafeteria about, Mm. but you don't actually do anything about it. If we had done our research better, and I can show you exactly what we would have done, we would have saved over $50,000 and months and months of work. So we never released that product. We locked it up in our vault. It will never see the light of day because although people may complain about it, they don't actually care. So then how do you understand if a problem that people have is something that they would actually pay money to have solved or if it's just something they want to talk about? All right, so the, the, the first thing you want to do is you want to go to them and ask open-ended questions not questions relating to the product idea you have in mind. Nobody cares mm-hmm. about your product at this stage. In fact, if you ask about a product, they're just going to they're going to unintentionally lie to you. So a lot of people the common mistake they make is they go and they say, "Hey, um if, you know, how's health insurance? Is that frustrating?" Yeah. Um if there was a guide step by step that would walk you through that product and tell you exactly what to do, would you be interested in it? Yeah, I'd love that. And then they go you go, "Oh, okay, well if it was like 50 bucks, would, you, would that be reasonable? Oh, I, I could see some people paying for that. Okay, right there you've made three critical mistakes out of three questions. Number one, you went and you asked them a yes or no question. Is health insurance a problem to you? People are just going to say yes because they don't want to really disappoint you. Mm-hmm. Then you asked them, if I put together a guide. Now you're talking about a product. So now you've shifted them into, I don't want to disappoint my friend. I'm going to say yes again. And then you give them a price, and did you notice the the answer? Yeah, I can see how some people would be interested in that. If they don't say, it's like asking someone if they're in love with you. If the answer is not, yes, I love you, if the answer is anything else, it's a no. Oh, yeah, I could see us one day falling in love. That's a no. So the questions you want to ask instead, or you want to start off by saying, 
tell me about your day. What like really broad. Okay. So when we were asking about um, online business, some of the research we did was like, tell us about your day. What is it currently? And then like, if in your dream world, what would that day look like? And then some of those people said, you know, I, one day I would love to wake up, sip some jasmine tea and work from the beach. We're like, okay, what would you be doing on the beach? So like, I'd have an online business. What kind of online business? And then they, they would tell us all these things and we would dig in further and further. Notice that we're not asking any questions about um, what price point would they pay? What kind of product? Should it be a video course or an ebook? You're not even at that stage. You want to understand the problem first. So if, again, I'm going to give you one more example. If you're talking about creating a style product for women, I would go to women. And by the way, if your question is, hey, where do I find these women? My answer is, if you can't find them during research, how are you going to find them during sales? Totally. Right? So you got to be able to find them, it, whether it's through a subreddit, whether it's through a forum, whether it's just through asking your friends to chat with you or talk to you on the phone. You know five women. Okay? So you go and talk to them and you say, hey, tell me about your clothes. Like, Tell me about your outfit today. How'd you think about that? They're like, oh, I just put this thing together, Banana Republic. I love it. Oh, okay. So like on a day-to-day basis, when you wake up and you look at your closet, like, what do you feel? And then what, Pat, you're married. What do you think a typical woman is going to say when you ask that question? Oh, God, you're setting me up here, dude. Come on. Um, how do you oh, feel? Um, I feel like I have this, I wear the same thing every single day. Awesome. I have all these clothes in my closet. And I end up pulling out the same five outfits every day. Okay, you say, tell me more about that. Why? And she's going to say, well, you know, I have these things, but I'm not sure how to put them together. And then sometimes I wear these things, but I don't want to look too fancy or too casual. Okay, so you're really getting into it and you're hearing certain things on research. So now I might ask them, like, what have you tried to solve this problem? Now, this is a key question. Love that question. If people say, eh, Nothing really. Now you have a serious problem. That's telling you that perhaps this is not really as severe of a pain point as you thought. So like people always are like, Ramit, they're always pitching me these cockamamie ideas. Hey, Ramit, have you considered learning how to change the um, color of your wood table? I'm like, no, I don't give a shit about that. I don't care about changing. Why would I care about that? So their whole business that they had concocted in their head was, let me show people how to change the color of their wood table or something equivalent. Mm -hmm. Well, what you want to hear is people saying, you know what? I actually tried to go to Banana Republic. I worked with a personal shopper, but I didn't really like it. So then I looked on YouTube, which is really cool and it helped me a little bit, but it just feels like so overwhelming. That's money. That's gold. So now I'm like, really? Okay, so like walk me through it. What product did you try? Um, show me like the before and after. And now we're really starting to understand the contours of the problem. I love hearing when people have tried something and it didn't work. That's a double whammy on the positive side because number one, it means that this is a big enough problem for people to actually try something to solve it. That's Mm -hmm. big. And the fact that it didn't work is awesome because it means, because I have confidence in myself and I know that I can come up with something better than what's out there. So that means if I can just understand the weaknesses of that product and other products, I could probably come up with something better. I love it. Hey, quick question. When, before you talk to these people, are you saying anything in terms of, okay, I'm about to ask you questions because I'm doing business research or something like that, or you know, I just don't want people to feel like they're kind of being weird about it? Yeah, well, okay, good question. And um, as any guy knows, 
every guy's a weirdo when you're in your early teens. <laughs> you like don't know how to talk to girls or guys or whoever. And so as the former king of being weird, I actually believe in being totally honest. And you don't have to be a, like a nut job about it. You can be super honest. You can say something like this. Say, look, Kate, I noticed that you always like you seem to just have a knack for style. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about how you do it. I'm thinking about creating something around style. I don't know if it's going to work or not. So I would just love to talk to you and get your feedback. And that's it. No, I'm not selling anything or anything like that. Boom. Now, let me point one thing out, Pat, because that's important for people to hear. You're not selling anything. You don't even have a product in mind yet. You're just doing research. So there's literally no way for you to sell them anything. That should shape the uh, contours of your discussion, which is it is purely research. It's not sales. So the product comes out of the research. It sounds so obvious, right? But every time I talk to entrepreneurs who have built blogs, they they are working on these products and they have these ideas and they're they're spending money on them and they haven't even had conversations with their prospects yet. It's really scary. The the greatest tragedy in the world for an entrepreneur is spending months or years and thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars building something only to find out that nobody wants it. Yeah, I've gone through that. We see it on Shark Tank all the time. It's it's uh, definitely a tragedy, that's for sure. Okay, I want to go back to to pricing uh, a bit because that's just, again, another topic that keeps coming up over and over and over again. We talked about pricing for like 20 hours. Yeah, we did. We have a whole other <laughs> podcast about that. I think that was episode 92, uh, the first time you were on. Um, but again- Wait, do you, Hold on. Do you memorize every podcast episode? I do. It's really interesting. What? Yeah. You were on 92, 120, and 170, I think. I think. For everyone listening, you guys are listening. I mean, Pat, you're like a savant. This is amazing. You might think it's kind of crazy, but I've heard of stories of poker players who remember specific hands just because they're in them, you know, and they're so deep into that moment that they can't not remember that. So I think as a podcaster, somebody who is involved with talking to people like yourself and putting them out there and then promoting them later. I, I can't help but remember them. Amazing. You know, like Clay Collins, 78, Shane and Johnson Sams, 122. I mean, I could go through the whole list. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for that, though. I appreciate that. Um, that, that also kind of reminds me, though, like one thing I love about you and what you do and why I highly respect you is because you just have, and I think people can understand now that they've listened to you for 20 minutes minus the other podcasts if they have, um, you always have these amazing stories to – share your ideas and to really get the point across. And I've heard you talk about this thing called the story bank. Yeah, story I, toolbox. I think it's one of the most helpful social tools that anybody could ever have. I mean, could you speak on that really quick? Because yeah. I, I think this it helps with everything. All right, so, all right, so, this, so as I said, former king of being a weirdo, um, this, this is a, a technique I used um, because I, I wanted to be able to walk into a room and just be more approachable, right? And more re- relatable. And I watched people do this, like masters, friends of mine who are, they can just own the room and people at work who are just incredible. So one of the things that the very, very best in the world do is they always have a story for something. And the best example of this is watching people on The Tonight Show or any late night show or morning show. They're just amazing at making these stories so engaging. Mm-hmm. And so a simple technique that you can use is to think about some of your best stories. Really, you can start with about three to five of them. And I find that if you think about being in a group of your close friends, 
those stories come much more naturally versus when you're standing at some awkward cocktail party and your mind is just blank. You're like, how's the weather? Oh, I love this olive. Like nobody cares. So, but when I'm around my friends, I'm so much more natural. So I basically wrote down a list of three to five stories and I put them in what's what I call a story toolbox. It could be a simple Word document, text document, Excel document. It doesn't matter. And now you know when you're at any kind of event and you're talking to somebody, you've got these stories in your back pocket. You can also go deeper with this. When you're in an interview, you've got your three to five stories about you know, how you drove higher revenue, how you worked with a problem coworker, how you handled an integrity issue. And you can just pull those out and use those stories just seamlessly. So if you guys are interested, I think actually our most watched YouTube video ever, which is totally free, is called Improve Your Social Skills in Under 30 Minutes. It's on YouTube. It has like over a million views. And there's a whole bunch of little techniques you can use like this, either for when you're doing research calls, when you're at an interview, or even when you're just hanging with your friends. Man, there's so much we can learn about social skills that they help us in every part of life. So I'm glad you brought it up, Pat. I hope people take a look at that video. Yeah, I mean, the, the story toolbox is something that I found that now that I've done X number of presentations over time and within each of those presentations, I have points that are supported with stories. Now that I've sort of done them in a formal way, they often come up just naturally in conversations and because they're from presentations, they're presented in these casual conversations in such great ways um, people often are blown away by like, wow, you like, I get people coming up to me later. Like, well, you told that story really well. Like I was like in tears or I was, I was like laughing my ass off because it was so funny anyway. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, but anyway, I wanted to go back to pricing. And so we talked about, you know, not playing in the small sandbox, but also how to not like remove other people from, you know, just all that stuff that we talked about. Um, I, th I still feel like we haven't really nailed down like how to find the perfect price. And I know that's a, sort of a loaded question, but is it? A couple things. First of all, go listen to the pricing episode that we did. We go into super detail, but I want to give you some new stuff here today um, because I've been monitoring what's going on with a lot of entrepreneurs and it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> is that a good way to start off a pricing segment? Yeah, uh, right. I mean, uh, now you have everybody, everybody's attention, but why are, are you uh, thrown up here? Because, it, because most entrepreneurs who are launching their first product or fourth, fifth product, the way that they think about pricing, they don't even just put their lick their finger and put it up in the air and just see which way the wind is. They don't even do that. It's actually worse. They look at their competitors and they see what they're doing and they either match it or go 10% lower. There's only one big problem with that. Their competitors are in the bargain basement section of Walmart, okay? <laughs> they're picking competitors who have no clue what they're doing. And so you're, you have no clue what you're doing, and then you're being guided by someone who has even less of a clue what they're doing. You need to step out of that paradigm of looking at your neighbor who makes 10% more than you. Step out. They're not your competitor. You're going to surpass them very soon. If you use things like zero to launch and you learn how to do this stuff and you're going to be – you need to be looking at a competitor who's making five times, ten times, fifty times more than you. There is so much value in knowing what the number one person in your market does. The number one person in your market, they don't just know two times more than the number two person. They know ten times or a hundred times more. It's like the difference between Michael Jordan and the next guy in the NBA. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So if you look at some great pricing from businesses that are doing really well, I'll tell you about, I'll tell you about how we think about pricing. So first of all, we're not looking at, we understand what our competitors are charging, but that does not guide our decision making. Why? People are saying, well, that's crazy, Ramid. You can't just um, charge whatever you want because uh, you have to respond to competitive pressures. Well, maybe. But if you've made the right decision early on to choose the right people, the right people means they're not price-driven, but instead they're value-driven, then you actually have a lot more flexibility in your pricing. So I'll give you an example that we have. We have, uh, you know, Zero to Launch is a simple example. There's a lot of people out there charging $100 or two, $300 for an online business product. We have zero desire to play in that. And we would rather not, I don't even want to build a product that is only 200 bucks to, to create an online business. How much value can I really add? What I wanted to do instead was create something that was so good that people would be willing to pay 10 times or even 100 times what they had paid. And so we went up market on that. Now, let me bring it down to earth. You may not be creating a $2,000 product your first time. In fact, you shouldn't do that. But you may be looking at your competitors who are charging 20 bucks or 50 bucks, and you may say, you know what? I'm going to charge 50 to $100, or I'm going to decide to create a $497 product, but what do I need to put in that product to make it worth three, four, five, ten 10 times that? So I'll give you an example. If you're creating a $100 product, you can't effectively teach people how to start an online business. It's just too complicated, right? It just doesn't pass the sniff test. Mm -hmm. But what could you teach them for $100 that would be amazing? You could teach them how to do um, customer research. You could teach them a specific course about how to package your product up, et cetera, et cetera. So what we have done is we looked at the competition. We said, okay, we understand what the market is doing. Let's decide where we want to play and then let's figure out how to offer tons and tons of value in there to justify that price instead of what most entrepreneurs do, which is, oh my God, I need to cut my price down to $50 to match the competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic advice. I think too many people are just trying to, I don't know, the, lowering the price. I mean, think about what that does to your product. I mean, it's just the perceived value is not going to be there. Perceived or real. You can't like, okay, I cannot justify calling every single customer who joins Zero to Launch at $100. But when you join Zero to Launch, you get a call from a real live trained rep. Now that's very sophisticated. Not saying you need to do that for your first product. But what I'm saying is, I can justify doing more because I'm charging more to the right customers. Here's another example. Um, we, we have a copywriting course. Okay, what do most copywriting courses do? They show you a few sales pages. They show you some words. Oh, okay, write like this and write it by hand. Great. I flew students in from around the country into our studio and did live copywriting teardowns. There, that's a very expensive proposition. Accordingly, we're not going to charge $100 for that product, right? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Same thing for other people. Stop thinking about cutting your price and instead think about how you can add value. You would be surprised. Most people, most people who are serious about whatever niche you're in, they are not looking at price as the first um, criteria for buying. And Pat, you and I know that's true and everyone listening knows that's true too. Because think about something in your life where you really value it and price is not the first thing. I'll tell you right now. It could be if you have a pet, question number one, why do you have a pet? 
you know I'm not a big fan of pets, Pat. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry for all the haters that are going to write me, oh, I love dogs. Uh. My dad, uh, my sisters used to want a dog and we couldn't get one for 15 years because my dad's allergic. We found out, guess what? He's not allergic. He actually just doesn't like dogs. Oh, I, I was like, that is the best thing I've ever heard my dad do in my life. So I, I can't wait to do that one day. Um, the point is, if you have a pet, you probably buy some really cool organic dog food or you buy something to put the dog in when it rains. Who knows, right? You're certainly not getting the cheapest thing ever. If you have kids, I can guarantee you're not buying the cheapest, most generic food or lunchbox or whatever. So you got to put yourself in the mindset of knowing that the right audience is not merely price-driven. They actually want value. Mm-hmm. Love it. Now, in terms of what is in the course and the type of course it is, you know, is it a video course or any of these other things, do you have any tips on you know, how do you best deliver this valuable content to the people who are going through your course? Uh, okay, yeah, absolutely. So we have a whole bunch of packaging um, specific instructions in, in, uh, in Zero to Launch. So some suggestions I want to make for people that are a bit counterintuitive. Um, many people know about this idea of adding video, but they don't understand why. Okay, why am I going to add video? So they just Everybody else is doing it. (laughs) Yeah, everyone else is doing it. And you need to understand the psychology and the theory behind it. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting here in tactical hell saying, what kind of microphone should I get? And how long should my videos be? So one of the reasons that people offer video is that it allows what's called pricing confusion. So if you're trying to sell an ebook for $100, people are like, go screw yourself. The ebooks on Amazon cost $4.99. Well, if you are adding video, it's hard to compare apples to oranges. Now, everyone stop and just notice that I'm not saying you're only adding video to confuse people so you can charge them more. That is not what I'm saying at all. The video has to add major value beyond text. So how, think about how video can add value. When we do video, one, it allows me to tell these stories that I can't easily tell on a PowerPoint slide or in an HTML page. Um, It allows people to trust you more. It allows you to be more engaging because they're actually watching you on screen as opposed to just reading words. Mm -hmm. So the video, it it serves a very real purpose. Now, you're asking specifically, how much should you put in for different price points? Well, let's talk about it. For a $50 product, as a general recommendation, you 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 can have a fairly copy heavy product with a little bit of video. Anywhere between fifty to hundred dollars, that's fine. Typically, we'll see people do, you know, an ebook with a few videos. That's perfectly fine. You can have a great product that actually generates tens of thousands of dollars per year if you price it between fifty and hundred dollars, and you have ebook plus some video. We actually have products like that. Um, at five hundred bucks, you want to have you want to start defaulting towards a little bit more video driven. That's just a general framework right now. Uh, again, as I said, rules are meant to be mastered than broken, but just master it first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some, some amount of video, which could be you know, seven days, 14 days, 30 days, et cetera. Once you get up into the $1,000 and $2,000 price points, you're really talking about more sophisticated video. So you're talking about um, better video quality. You're talking about video that may not just be focused on your face, but also integrating PowerPoint slides or even more like external shots. And at the price points that we target, which is you know, $2,000 plus, we will add a rich amount of vault material. We call it vault 
It's basically supplementary material that is really, really crunchy and valuable. So for example, you know, 15 split tests that we've run in our business or how we quadrupled our email list. All those things are in zero to launch. Those are in the vault. Those are supplementary materials that are just super crunchy and valuable. And you can use those today, right now, and get amazing results. And what about access to you in, for example, office hours or access to a community? Are those things that, I mean, those are things that obviously drive up the value, but at which point should those be placed in? Oh, great question. So everyone listen to what Pat just said. That's a really, really great way you worded it, Pat, because you don't have to offer community for a $50 product. You absolutely do not have to. In fact, you should think really carefully about where you offer these things, um, just like an a car company would not offer leather seats for a Honda Accord um, DX or whatever the lowest model is, or LX. They reserve the leather seats for the EX, the high-end version. So you don't need to offer everything just because. You should be very selective. Um, to answer your question, I think that uh, what we have found is that community is increasingly important. We would offer community generally for we wouldn't offer it for less than $500. As a general guideline, again, there's exceptions, but 500 to 1,000, we would start thinking about it. 2,000, we would definitely offer some kind of community product. Mm. And that could be a Facebook group. It could be whatever it is you want, forum. Um, access to the creator. Now that is another tricky question. Um, a lot of people believe that they have to do it. Why? Because their dumpy neighbor did the same thing. Stop focusing on your neighbor who makes 8% revenue more than you and you can surpass them next month. Stop. Just stop. Access to you should be privileged and treasured. Um, I have courses I've uh, created that are $8,000 that do not include access to me. Okay? So, but, but the content of that material is amazing. You do not need to offer access always. You also don't need to ac offer access forever. Here's a nice way you can consider doing it. When we created a $1,000 product, um, we offered an additional tier, which was a second, a master level tier. And people got access to me um, where they could ask Q&A questions once a week for eight weeks. We recorded those and we put them into the master tier as recorded calls. So I did it for eight weeks and I've never done it again. And those continue to sell very well. So that's my example to show you, you don't need to offer access always. Mm -hmm. And in that case, you don't need to offer access forever. Awesome. What about the other kind of content that people are putting out there product-wise, and that is a membership site with recurring payments to stay in monthly. Typically, it also includes a forum and um, vault content. And then is, there's new content uploaded every single month. Yep. What's the question? My question is, I've never seen you do anything like that. Why? What do you mean? We've generated millions of dollars doing that. Oh, have you? Yeah, we have a product. We have a product called Brain Trust, and we've actually had oh, multiple right. products that we've tried. So we've done it. Um, I, haven't, I, I haven't gotten those emails, I guess. <laughs> um, so we, yes, we've done that, and we understand the subscription business, but we have more to learn. Um, I would say that um, I don't want anyone to walk away thinking, oh, Ramit is so full of himself, or they know everything, because that's not true. Um, we're learning just like everyone else, and we've you know, despite the fact that we have products that have generated millions of dollars, 
um, from on a subscription basis. I, I really think that we have a long way to go in understanding uh, the subscription model. Um, I'll share a couple of insights that um, that we've learned along the way. So subscription businesses, like you mentioned, people typically do these things. They'll charge often between $25 and $99 a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, these subscription businesses, they'll typically offer some new content in the community. It's very straightforward business model. What most people don't talk about are the things that really kill you as the entrepreneur. So the first part that kills you is churn. Um, most people don't even think about that number or know what it is or know how to track it. Churn is basically how many people are canceling every month. And your churn number needs to be pretty low. And it turns out churn is a pretty complex beast to tackle. Many people who are running a subscription business don't even know that they are basically breaking even or maybe even losing money. It's pretty hard to find out because the analytics are very tricky with cohort tracking and things like that. Mm. What can I tell you about that? I can say that it's very important that you get people to stay at least six months. And really some of the best ones, people are staying for 24 months or even longer. Okay, That's number one. Number two is creating content. It's pretty hard to create high quality content every month regularly. So you need to really think about what are you going to create that's going to get people to stay and want to stay every single month. Um, There's a lot that you can do with subscription models. In fact, it can be highly, highly profitable. Mm -hmm. And it can, people who stay every month are some of your most motivated readers or students or customers. Um, But you really need to think carefully about what that subscription product looks like today, tomorrow, and three years from now. The most successful ones I've seen makes sense for them to be subscription models where every month you get access to, for example, new stock charts and, you know, stuff that updates every single month that you wouldn't get access to if you weren't involved. I've been a part of many membership sites that that fail because just the content, it just doesn't make sense to stay in anymore, you know, and it just seems like it's forced. Um, Great point. And you know why those entrepreneurs did it? Because they were like, you know what, I need a recurring revenue base and I think it's really good to make a lot of money. So if you start by saying like, I want to just make a bunch of money without really thinking about like, what does my customer have in mind? It's basically missing the soul. Why are these people going to want to stay and pay you every single month? You got to think about what kind of value you're delivering. You think about a great program like Weight Watchers, amazing program. That makes perfect sense to be recurring every single month because you're getting ongoing accountability. Um, So I think it's a great example that you gave of don't force it. Find something that is a natural fit. Great. And then the last thing I want to touch on, and again, thank you for your time today, Ramit. This is this has been fantastic, as always, um, is a lot of people struggle when they come out with a course, whether it's a membership site or not. Is it going to be open for good and evergreen, or is it, are you going to open and close the cart throughout the year? How do, how do you pick and choose which one is best for you? What do you think my answer is going to be? Well, I feel like it's going to be the closed cart situation because of scarcity. Okay, so this is another great, amazing, perfect example where people do what their neighbors do without understanding the why. Right. Um, now, we teach, again, we teach this in Zero to Launch. I'll tell you some of the insights here. Scarcity is a very powerful lever. In fact, it's one of the most powerful levers. But there are multiple types of scarcity, and there are other levers as well. So if you think about all the different levers, let's just play out some of them. There's price. Mm-hmm. Pat, what do you think? What are some other levers? Price, bonuses. Yep. Limited amount of spots available. That's scarcity. Good. What else? 
uh, time, of course, um, yep. and just the like it disappearing and never being available again. All right. So I would say that some of the other ones that we should think about would be um, the promise. This is really important. What are you actually getting? Right. So zero to launch. You're going to launch your product. And in fact, we're going to show you how to get it to millions of dollars. Um, find your dream job. Another product we have. What are you going to get? You're going to find your dream job. I could just say, um, create a great resume. That's sort of a impotent promise compared to find your dream job. So that is really important. That's a lever that you should be thinking about. And of course, you've done your research that we teach you. So you know what a great promise is. Um, the scarcity lever is one that most people just default to. They, they tend to default to two levers. One is scarcity, which could be limiting the number of seats, how often is it open, mm -hmm. et cetera. The second one that everybody defaults to is discounting. So my policy on discounting, which we talk about in the other podcast on pricing, is in general, if you're truly creating amazing material, you've done your research, you've validated stuff works, you have success stories, why on earth would you discount it 20, 30, 50%? The only reason you would discount it is that, number one, your product isn't very good, so you're trying to scrape the bottom of the barrel, or two, you genuinely believe that price is the number one criteria for your buyer. So as you can expect, we don't discount, and I don't think you need to discount because the right buyers don't need a discount to buy. Mm -hmm. So back to scarcity, should you do evergreen, aka it's always open, or should you do scarcity? Well. If you guys were looking for just a simple, tidy answer, I mean, you're not going to find it on this one. This is a very complex question. In general, the higher priced and higher value your product is, the more levers you're going to have to pull to sell. Why? Because it's really hard to get someone to buy a $2,000 product versus picking up a pack of Wrigley's gum for a dollar at the grocery store. Okay, so that's one way to look at it. The more expensive, the more levers are going to need to pull. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, does it make sense to close it? If you genuinely have only 15 seats available because you, Pat Flynn, are doing specific one-on-one -on -one work with people, then of course you're going to use scarcity, right? But really, it's the middle ground where you've got this $100,000, $400,000 product and you need to think about whether or not you want to close it or not. You know, part of it is you can test it if you have enough traffic to, to get some measurable results, part of it is sometimes you just make the decision and you say, you know what, this is going to be a scarcity product or this is going to be an evergreen product. And then you can monitor it over six months to a year. If it's not working, you can change it. Love it. That, I mean, that, I think that's a big lesson there. I mean, as long as you're being conscious about what you're doing and seeing what the results are like, you can always make changes and adjust. Dude, Ramit, thank you again for coming on the show, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, where can people find out more information about uh, what you have going on? All right, so one of the things we like to do is we like to create our free material that's better than anyone else's paid stuff. So I have something I think listeners are gonna like. It's at growthlab.com slash SPI, and it's a 61-page PDF called The Ultimate Guide to Starting an Online Business. So this is everything from the psychology of pricing to understanding your mindset when it comes to the packaging of your product and even specific marketing strategies that you can use right now. So again, that URL, growthlab.com slash SPI. Awesome, man. 
Thanks so much. We appreciate you. And uh, I'm sure that guide is going to be uh, amazing. Thank you. Thanks a lot, everybody. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ramit. As always, Ramit, I know you're listening to this. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm sure you'll come on again at some point in the future. And I highly recommend everybody check out that guide that he talked about. It's the ultimate guide to starting an online business. All of his best stuff in one easy to download PDF at growthlab.com slash SPI. Again, that's growthlab.com slash SPI. And like I said at the beginning of the show, that'll put you into his email sequence, which seriously is one of the best in the world. You can learn from him just by following along there. So go ahead and check that out. Again, that's growthlab.com slash SPI. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. And I look forward to next week's episode. I had mentioned the word ignite there just a second ago. And that's sort of a hint at what's coming next week. For some of you who know John Lee Dumas, you know exactly what I mean. We're going to be talking with John, not about podcasting, but about his recent successful Kickstarter campaign for the Freedom Journal and how he just made nearly a half million dollars on Kickstarter. Some of the things he learned, wish he'd done better, things that a lot of other people who are running Kickstarter campaigns are not doing that he did and more. So I look forward to serving you in that episode. Until then, keep pushing forward, keep moving that needle, keep working on one thing at a time. I appreciate you guys. And again, that uh, free download that Ramit mentioned is at growthlab.com slash SPI. Cheers, take care, and see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI, and today I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast, yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.